So on our way through the book of Matthew, remember we skipped past chapters 24 and 25. So while today's going to be a little bit out of order, this is actually Lesson 77 of Matthew. And the reason I skipped past was as I was looking at my computer and I came to chapter 24, the NIV always has these topic headings just underneath the uh, uh, chapter heading. And I read it, and it reminded me that these two chapters are really about it. It looks like this on my computer. It says, you see just below the chapter heading, it says, Signs of the End of the Age. They reference these two chapters as the signs of the end of the age. And I thought as I looked at this, how am I ever going to cover this and be done by the time the festivals get here? And there was just no way. And then again, I must admit, it wasn't my favorite topic to begin with. And the reason it's not my favorite topic is that everyone seems to have, everyone you talk to seems to know exactly how things are going to end anyway. And so, you know, why should I get up here and talk about it? Right? It always struck me as humorous that people come here to learn the Jewish roots of their faith. They want to learn more about Torah and more about the prophets because they never really studied them in their churches. And yet, they have this firm opinion on the most mysterious topic in the Bible. One that takes a real knowledge of the complete word of God to even begin to understand. And that, of course, is the end of days. And yet, they all have answers for the end of days. And so I used to think, I should be learning from them. Instead of them for me, and you know, some of them were really happy to oblige too. (laughs) But they know something I don't, because I don't know the end of the story in that kind of detail. You see, everyone has an opinion, and it's based on a few verses, maybe a few teachings they heard someone teach at one time, on how the end of age will go. And, you know, that's okay. That's good. What's not okay is when we stand on them, so firmly as if they were the gospel. And then, to believe any differently makes you a heretic. Well, folks, we need to kind of repent of that attitude. And there are other topics that are the same. We have the same feeling on, like the nature of God. Is he one? Is he three? Is he the moving of the Spirit and others? And since this is the season of Teshuvah, I wanted to take a look at this one topic and show you why we need to repent of this. Because... It's so easy and simple an example. And then I want to cover a couple of things that I think we need to repent of as a community during this season of Teshuvah as well. Shaul tells us something that we will be wise to remember. And while it's not in the context of the end of days, it's surely applicable to this topic. And it occurs in Romans chapter 14, verse 1. It says, Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. And so what he tells us, he tells us, don't pass judgment on someone on disputable matters if they believe differently than you. In other words, things that really can't be established one way or the other. You know, granted, there are some things that are points of division. As an example, if I have someone come in here and trying to tell me that Yeshua was not deity, he's just a man like any other man, that's a point of division for me. That's not a disputable matter because I can show you in Scripture that that's a lie. The Sabbath, not keeping the Sabbath, that's not a disputable matter for me. Adultery is not a disputable matter. Bearing false witness, not a disputable matter. Loving the Lord your God and your neighbor as yourself, there's no dispute there. 
But now, can someone tell me any other topic that's more disputable than the events of the end of days and the return of the Messiah? I don't think so. Well, and if that's the case, why is there such a point of separation in the church and even in the Messianic movement on this topic? Well, when you think about it, it's not too hard to figure out. It's the flesh. It's this insatiable desire we have to be right. You see, we have this ego, and it's a very fragile little thing. (laughs) And when someone takes exception to something we believe, all of a sudden that ego gets agitated and strikes back, and pretty soon you got two people standing there trying to shoot holes in each other's theory, and it becomes a battle royal. And if there's no resolve, nothing acceptable to both egos, then usually some kind of separation happens then. Well, here's the problem. With the end of days, there is no resolve. The end of days is clothed in such ambiguity that no one has the answers. And if I teach on the end of days, as I hope and believe, afterwards, I can go down to the fellowship hall and I can hear many people discussing where I was wrong, shooting holes in what I believe. Well, let me say, I could sit down and help them because there's a few holes that I haven't got plugged yet. But let me tell you this. I could take that same person and listen to what he believes and put so many holes in his boat that it wouldn't even remain afloat. Because I've looked at all of these common scenarios and I can find flaws in all of them. And the reason is simple. There is just no concrete answers. It's something that no one knows. It's the most disputable matter in the Bible. It should never be argued, much less cause separation between brothers. Yes, we should study, we should discuss, but it should never come to division or harsh words. You would have thought that we would have figured this thing out because Yeshua in this very chapter says this in verse 36, no one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. I mean, how clear does it get? Do you see what it says? About that hour, about that day, no one knows. Let me read it from the Young's Literal because I think it's a little clearer. And concerning that day and the hour, no one hath known, not even the messengers of heaven, except my Holy Father. Notice it left the Son out because it really isn't in the text. He tells us that concerning the day of the Lord, not just the hour, but the day, the events of the day of the Lord, no one knows. So I want to ask you, how many is no one? I hear people point to this and say, you see, we don't know the hour. Can't be Rosh Hashanah because we don't know the hour. But let me tell you that he included the day, which means we don't know much about the day. The only thing we know is the little bit that the prophets have told us And we know how much you can rely on your understanding of the prophets. You think you're an expert in the prophetic writings? Well, let me say, the ancient scholars knew the prophets and their words better than we. And none of them knew, or at least none of them that I've ever read knew, and recognized that Messiah would have to come, suffer, die, be raised from the dead, go back to the heavens for 2,000 years, and then return and rule and reign on the earth. I've never read anything like that, except in hindsight. The prophets are great after the event has happened. Oh yeah, there's Yeshua in Isaiah 53. There he is in Psalm 22. There he is in Zechariah. But before the fact, not so much. 
So you have Yeshua telling us that no one knows the day of the Lord. And yes, he gives us some bits and pieces here. We get some bits and pieces in the prophetic books. But not enough that he can say that anyone knows of that day. Now, if all of this ambiguity in Scripture were not enough, then we have this Scripture that's spoken of by Solomon. Ecclesiastes 1.8 says, All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye has never seen enough seen, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, Look, this is something new. It was already here long ago. It was already before our time. So here we're trying to figure out Yeshua's words and the signs of the end of the age, which he tells us no one can really know. And then we read that things are going to happen over and over again. And really there's nothing new under the sun. And so with that all in mind, let's read what he has to say about the end of days. Verse 4. Yeshua said, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All of these are the beginning of the birth pangs. Well, hey, that really helps, right? Now we're right on track. We can narrow this right on down. All we have to do is watch for nation to rise against nation, kingdom to rise against kingdom, that there will be wars and rumors of wars. This is going to be a breeze. This is a major clue, right, folks? All we have to do is find a time when there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. Problem is, can anyone tell me a time when there were not wars and rumors of wars since Yeshua spoke this? Because that which has been is that which shall be. You know, the Jewish believers must have been looking up toward heaven when Jerusalem was sieged after hearing Yeshua's words. The Roman Christians must have had a heavenly gaze when Rome fell. Everyone with their confidence in the God of Israel was looking toward the heavens in the 1930s and 40s, but alas, no Messiah. Wars and rumors of wars is a fact, but it's not a clue, I'll tell you, that'll tell you what and when because This is the condition of man and the condition of the age. Nothing new here. But, you know, look at some of the things we have to deal with in this chapter. Things like the abomination that causes desolation. There are a number of opinions as to what that is. Some think it was the pagan temple that was built on the Temple Mount after its destruction. It's happened in the past. Antiochus and the abomination that he sent up. There's an abomination up there now. So ringing in our ears should be that which has been is that which shall be. How are we supposed to understand the coming of the Son of Man? What is it his coming after his resurrection, as some teach, or is it his coming at the end of age? Anyway, all of that said to say, if you disagree with what I'm going to say over the next few weeks, that's all right, I still love you. There's a day coming when we're going to find out whether either of us were right. But what is really important is that when the day comes, let us be found brothers in the Lord with no strife between us. That way, whoever was right, if either was right, whatever is the truth, we'll be found loving each other and ready for whatever happens. Amen? Amen? Matthew 34, 
he says, how are we supposed to understand something like this? I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass until all these things have happened. Well, that generation has passed, right? Well, we're going to get answers for all these, I think, in the weeks to come. But let me tell you one thing, something else, that you would be wise never to do. And that's to put a time frame on the events by looking around seeing different things in the world and comparing them with Scripture, seeing that there's earthquakes, seeing that there's wars, because there's always been those things and there will always be. It's a fact, but it's not a clue. If you put times and dates on things, you're going to bring reproach on yourself. Let me give you an example. Around 13 years ago, I was starting a congregation in Duluth, and a fellow started coming to the services. His name was Michael Rood. He wasn't so famous then, as he is now, but he was just getting started in his teachings, and when I heard that he was teaching that Messiah was coming back on Rosh Hashanah of that year, I said, Michael, you don't want to say things like that. You're going to ruin your credibility with all but the most gullible people. If you put times on Messiah's coming, just look at history and look at what happened, look at the reproach people brought on themselves by claiming Messiah's return. Look what happened to those people. He just smiled and he said, don't worry. So he continued to teach that Messiah was coming on that Rosh Hashanah. And when he didn't come on that Rosh Hashanah, he quick got another teaching tour together and said, oh, my calculations were off. He's coming next year. Well, next year came and he didn't come. And so then it was the next year. And then when he didn't come that year, oh, well, then he was coming on Passover. Well, needless to say, with anyone except the most gullible, he lost all credibility. Someone told me recently that he'd repented of these things, that he apologized for these things, and that may help the numbers at his meeting, but it sure doesn't help his credibility, at least with me. So the point is, never put a time frame on these events because Yeshua told us flat out, no one knows. And that no one includes you, Michael Rood, Rabbi Stan, and everyone else. Let's read the first two verses again. Let's just start up at the first two verses again. Yeshua left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him and, and to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see these things? He asked. I tell you the truth. Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. And now, we should have no problem seeing that this has happened. The temple was destroyed in 70 common air. It was torn down. And by tradition, we're told that it was set afire and the gold furnishings melted and flowed between the stones. And so every stone was torn, not one left on another. So there's no problem there. Let's read on, because now's where it gets sticky. As Yeshua was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. He said, tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? And Yeshua answered, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of the birth pains. Now, he says many will come claiming... I am the Messiah. You know, I once did a study, it was just for myself, I didn't do it for the congregation, just for myself, about the different people through history that have claimed to be the Jewish Messiah. And let me tell you, 
There have been a whole lot of false messiahs since Yeshua spoke those words. Not to mention all the idiots that claim to be Yeshua himself. We had one of those in here a couple of weeks ago. So, I mean, this isn't really helpful in nailing down time and certainly would be no sign of Yeshua's coming. So here's what I want. What does all of this mean? What does Yeshua mean when he said, many will become claiming to be the Messiah and you'll hear wars and rumors of wars and famines and earthquakes? Well, you only have to look at the history books and you're going to find that we have, there have always been earthquakes. Even if we look at the city of Antioch, if you look at the history of the city of Antioch, there was an earthquake there in 37 common era, 42 common era, 115 common era. We can look at history and see volcanoes that darken the skies for long periods of time, ruining crops, causing famines, as outlined in the book of Revelation. We can look throughout history and see there have been countless famines, countless earthquakes, countless wars, and countless people claiming to be the Messiah. So what Yeshua is saying to his disciple, here's the sign. He's saying what Solomon said. There's nothing new under the sun. Nothing is going to happen out of the ordinary. The sign I give you really is this. The course of world events will continue. Evil will continue right up until the end. So be ready. And that's why he says later in the chapter, in verse 37, he says, As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days of Noah, before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage. Up until the day Noah entered the ark, they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. No one is going to know when it happens. It's going to come like a thief in the night. And when I say no one, it means all of us. Yeshua is saying just this. The sign you seek is no sign because there is no sign. The Father hasn't given any signs. Everyone in history who has looked at the words could have said, Yeshua must be coming. There's war. Every time in history there was a horrific earthquake or famines, the doomsday preachers got out their sandwich board saying, Repent, the end is near. Until it's a joke. And notice Yeshua says, these are the beginnings of birth pangs. One of the terms for the end of the days is the birth pangs of the Messiah. Shaul writes about them in chapter 8 of Romans. He says, we know the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we eagerly wait for our adoption as son and then the redemption of our bodies. And so Yeshua tells us these are the beginnings of birth pangs. Shaul tells us that the whole creation has been groaning in birth pangs right up until the present time. And if we compare those two verses, we have to conclude that nothing will change. There are no signs except those which have always been. Yeshua is saying in these passages there's nothing new under the sun the corruption that was at the beginning will continue, and yes, it'll wax and wane. And before the end comes, it'll wax and wax, right up until its climax and he comes. And so Yeshua really tells them nothing of the day or the hour, because why? He only speaks the words of the Father, and the Father's been silent. Remember verse 36, it said, And concerning that day and the hour, no one hath known, not even the messengers of heaven, except only my father only the father and he's not speaking 
And yet we got these people in the church who haven't even read through the entire Bible yet, knowing what's going to happen and clinging to it with such vehemence that it will actually divide a community of people, divide friends, divide brothers. But it shouldn't be so. There should never be harsh words spoken over something so disputable. The birth pangs that Messiah speaks of have always been and will grow right to the very end. And who besides God can say when he will say, enough is enough? He and only he, and he has not shared it with anyone. And I bring this up today because it's probably the easiest way to show how childish we can be at times. And how our Father in heaven must say to himself, Oy vey. Listen, Yeshua, they argue about what only I know. When will they learn what I'm really waiting for? I'm really waiting for each of them to repent and be ready. And folks, be ready is really simple. It's love the Lord your God and love your neighbor, die to the flesh and live for God. That's what he's waiting for.